0: Welcome to Home Court. A rainy Saturday afternoon inside the TSN 1050 Raptors headquarters. Josh Lewenberg, Dwayne Watson, Megan McPeak. And another Saturday, another Raptors game goes by. It's been 50 years as we look ahead. We've got the Trailblazers tomorrow some NBA history for you, ladies and gentlemen. Clyde Drexler on October twenty eighth, 1983, made his debut for the Portland Trailblazers against the San Diego Clippers, and Portland got the W117-93. The Raptors will take on the Blazers tomorrow evening from Portland on this six-game, two-week road trip. Last night, though, Monday, they get, Monday. Monday, excuse me, Monday. I'm, I'm a day ahead of myself. I'm a day ahead of myself. It happens. <laughs> and, you know, it's much like the uh, reporter that you were just listening to uh, with Kevin Durant. Forgot his question. We all have our flubs, but the Raptors got a, a See, W See, if that was night. me,
1: I would have just rambled on and given him, like, a... a- Three minute question that made no <laughs> sense. So good on that reporter for just cutting kind of his, his losses. Katie
2: has a problem. That's not the first time that's happened with Kitty. happened in the playoffs, too. Remember last year? I guess he's just so intimidating that <laughs> you forget just, your question. He's
0: just so fun to talk to that you just forget what you actually want to he's ask. He's so him. handsome when you look into his
2: eyes, you just forget what you're going to say.
0: It's, it's those little eyes, the little eyes. But the Raptors, sure. an interesting. <laughs> Interesting W last night, which looked like it was going to be a tighter game than it should have in that first half. They managed to get the W, though, over the Los Angeles Lakers in La La Land. And, you know, you guys had the game here on the station. You guys had to obviously do a a pregame, a postgame. So I imagine you're all Lakers and Raptors talked out. But we got to do it one more time because why not? It's always fun 24 hours later. Is it even 24 hours? No, later? Not yeah. even, no. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, the, the post game sounded a whole lot different than our halftime coverage. Uh, the Raptors, of course, they made that little push towards the end of the first half, but uh, it was not even midway through, or just over midway through, I should say, uh, the second quarter when the Lakers were up by 17 points. And then. The Raptors outscored them 71 to 45 the rest of the way. Flipped that switch as. Uh, folks around Cleveland like to say yep. uh, perhaps the Raptors are getting to that point now where they can really control their effort and when they take over games especially against inferior competition but that's a dangerous game to play and I think that was the concern going into this one coming off of a couple of games against elite competition is that well you, you don't see the Warriors in front of you you don't see the Spurs in front of you so you dial it back a bit that's certainly what it looked like in the first half and and you can't play that way. The Raptors have to come out and and play with that same type of intensity regardless of the opponent. Now, eventually, that's what they did. Eventually, that's really what Kyle Lowry did, taking over, leading the team, which ultimately led to his triple-double performance, but Again, some lessons to be learned, especially early in that game last night.
2: Flipping the switch is something we've talked about with the Raptors in the past over years in terms of kind of knowing when to like turn it on or or make that adjustment at halftime. And it works sometimes. It can work against a young team like the Lakers, but you can't do that against elite teams in the NBA. Um, You know rebounds and transition points were two things that the Lakers had done well in the first half obviously with their youth and they were able to do that and the Raptors remedy that being in both those categories and of course you know Kyle Lauer continued to find everyone uh, Pascal Siakam contributed DeMar DeRozan yep. stepped up and you know you got a good group effort but they have to be able to do that consistently, especially against better competition, like a team with like the Trailblazers who have you know one of the best backcourts in the league.
1: Lowry really stood out, of course. I mean, he's still looking for that jump shot, still not shooting the ball like we're used to seeing, but what makes Kyle Lowry such a great player, what has allowed him to blossom into an all-star over the last three seasons is his ability... To impact the game in different ways. And that's what we saw last night, whether he was um, taking those hits defensively and he's got the bandage under his eye and the bruise on his chin to prove it, or getting his teammates involved, making guys better. Uh, Certainly that was the case with Pascal Siakam yesterday. Siakam doing such a great job himself of running the floor. But when you have a point guard that can really take advantage of the big man's strength, like Lowry can, finding him on that, what was it, like a 70 foot? Uh, lob pass for an easy layup. Uh, a couple of really nice pick and rolls with Siakam as well as Jakob Pertl. Uh Lowry had it going last night. Now, if the jump shot uh, starts to click, uh, I-, I think that could be big for the Raptors
0: here going forward. Yeah, and you guys both talked about the first half. And we've got some sound from Coach Casey and him not being happy with the first half.
3: Eventually. And, uh, for whatever reason it's not important and I, it was what I was afraid of after two emotional games with San Antonio and Golden State but again we we fought, found the way the second half pulled together played with some toughness I thought the Lakers did an excellent job in the first half of coming out and punching us in the mouth and uh, I thought we responded in the second half.
0: Now you expect to get as Coach Casey mentioned right at the end of that a punch in the mouth from San Antonio and from Golden State but and, may, and, and
1: maybe Chicago, and, given their recent history. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you, that's a different you punch You don't in the
0: necessarily face. expect... We'll talk about that later, actually. You don't necessarily expect that from this young Lakers group to come out and punch a team like the Raptors, who, in my opinion, actually competed for 46 minutes against the defending NBA champions, yep. with it not be for some mental mistakes and some poor choices down the stretch, could have got that W. You wouldn't expect it from a Lakers team like that.
2: Well, I mean, I think... You wouldn't expect a punch in the face. You know how the Lakers team is going to play, and that's the thing. You know what they're going to do. You know what their strengths are. Uh, so going in, being a more experienced and savvy team, you should be able to mitigate that stuff. Like, th- don't let them dictate the pace of the game, which they did. You know, make sure you try to contain their length, which they didn't do. So I think it was a punch in the face, but it was like, you know, when you're fighting, let's take a analogy. You let the guy take some shots, but you feel I'm going to get through this. And they took too many shots, and they, you can't. This Raptor team can't allow. These inferior, lesser teams to even get the shots in. Come out early and set the tone, but that's something that this team is still trying to find a way to do.
1: Yeah, and that's sort of what we talked about at halftime yesterday, is that they weren't executing on the game plan, so when you allow the Lakers to play to their strength, and they're at a point now where they're on the upswing, and they do have strengths, you were playing right into them. Both Casey and Lowry in shoot-around, at shoot-around yesterday, talked about not taking them lightly, and Approaching them like you would an elite team in the NBA. They didn't do that early on. They talked about how the Lakers came to the game ranked second in pace. They like to get up and down the floor, they're young, they're quick. The goal was to control the tempo, and the Raptors didn't do that in the first half. So it was about executing that that game plan and, and the scouting report. And once they started to do that and really force the Lakers to hit jump shots, which we know is not their strength, certainly not Lonzo Ball, the birthday boy's strength, once they did that in the second half, then ultimately the defense, the Raptors' defense, looked a lot better, and that led to offensive opportunities where the Raptors were able to, pay, to play at their They have been playing a little bit quicker. They want to play quicker than they have been in years past, but they don't want to play out of control. And once you allow the Lakers to dictate their tempo and and you're playing at that speed, I thought the Raptors were a little bit out of their element a little bit in the first half.
0: Do you guys buy, DeMar said after the game, I I won't play the sound because we're short on time, but do you guys buy that he didn't
2: know it was his 600th game?
0: With the way that social media is and it has been talked about it before. Are you you buying that or are you not buying it?
2: Yeah, it's... I mean, it's a, it's a milestone, but it's not that significant a milestone where I think he's really paying attention to those kind of things. I think he's probably more aware of the fact that he's back at home playing in L.A., probably doing ticket requests and all that stuff. But I, I, don't, I don't think he's really that aware. I don't know. What do you think?
1: No, he, he probably didn't know. The, the best was Kyle Lowry after the game when it sort of seemed at first when he was talking to Jonesy and Jack on, on our broadcast yeah. <laughs> uh, after the win that he may have not known that he had the triple-double, and then he—, he, he confirm that yes Fred VanVleet told him before that three pointer that gave him right. the double digits in scoring that yeah he he knew he was close. Yeah.
0: When you look at this Raptors team and I know you guys have both mentioned, you know, playing down to an opponent, playing up to an opponent. How can the Raptors get to a point where that's no longer an issue and they just they just, they just play? They play at the level that they need to play night in and night out where it means if you're going up against the San Antonio's, the the Golden State Warriors, the Cavs, you're you're getting the same elite team and then if you're going up against, you know, the Lakers, the Suns, you're going to blow them out by 30 because you're going to put your foot on the neck and you're not going to let up and you're going to send a message
2: to the league. I think team. this sorry, sure, I think go. this year I mean, in the short sample size we have, they have. I mean, they beat Philly. They beat Boston. they beat Chicago. Um, they competed with the Spurs. and competed with the Warriors. I think this game, you know, they said they were going to do all those things, Josh, as you mentioned, and they didn't do it. Um, but I think that's part of the fact that they're still trying to figure out how to play together with this new system and, and easing a bit off of the ice football. I think last year they kind of showed that they could do a better job at playing to the level of competition regardless of who it is. So I don't think that's much of an issue with them kind of really just figuring it, figuring it all out.
1: I also think it's easier said than done. It's human nature, right? And the Raptors aren't alone. Uh, The Spurs lost to Orlando uh, last night. The Cavs have lost to Orlando as well as to Brooklyn. So it happens, especially at this point in the year where, again, all these great teams, they know that they're not going to be judged really until playoff time, so there are teams that are easing their way in. The Raptors really shouldn't be one of them because they're not in the tier that the Cavs and the Warriors are, but again, like I said, it's sort of human nature where you play to the opponent that's in front of you, and, and when you don't see uh, those superstar players. When you don't see the Warriors jerseys or the the Spurs jerseys, it is a little bit tougher, I think, to get up. Y- you want to try and break those habits. That's one of many habits that the Raptors are trying to break this year, and that's Dwayne Casey's job and the coaching staff's job is to try and get that through. But, again, easier said than done.
0: We'll keep it going here on home court on TSN 1050. Head over to the Twitterverse at TSN 1050. You can get your votes in on our Twitter poll question. We'll talk about that coming up. And at 145, assistant coach of the Toronto Raptors Jamma Malalela will join us. And later on, we'll hear from Casey Kohold, or excuse me, Casey Holdall, uh, from Blazers beat writer. And we'll talk Blazers as we've got them on Monday. We'll talk NBA. We've got everything hoops covered in the next couple of hours right here on TSN 1050's home court.
3: Lowry on the bounce has Randall on him. Minute 12 to go
1: in the game. Lowry three, got it. It's the ninth career triple double as that one splashes in the bottom of the well. Lowry with 11 points, 10 rebounds, and 12 assists. Franchise leader in Toronto with his fifth triple double.
0: Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 Raptors headquarters. Dwayne Watson, Josh Lewenberg, Megan McPeak. You heard some of the sound there from last night's game that we actually have corrected since the sound. It was tenth career triple double, ninth with, no eighth, eighth with the Raptors, two with Houston.
1: There was all sorts of conflicting information out there after yep. the triple double last night. I saw someone there, was, so that was nine. Then of course the it, it's actually ten. I saw somebody tweet eleven. So let's just say. It wasn't his first triple-double.
0: Right, and it won't be his last. Probably won't be his last. And he might be in double digits. (laughs) (laughs) Our home court poll question this week is, regarding this road trip, as I mentioned off the top of the show, a six-game road trip through the West, they've still got Portland, Denver, and Utah, if I am not mistaken, and they'll have Portland on Monday. How will the Raptors finish their road trip? One and six, two and six, three and six, or four and six. Well, it's not. It's, it's
1: not a ten-game road trip, so they're not going to go four and six.
0: Four and two. Four, four. of six. Four of six. Four of six. Yeah. Sorry. No, I, I
1: think that's. I think it's worded incorrectly.
0: It might be, but you know, it's all good. I. Okay. But I don't. Can you even in the polls on Twitter put in of like in words? when it regarding numbers or is it just numbers?
1: Well, no. Well, it should be. It should be three and three, right? Or
0: three, and, one and five.
2: What it is, I think one of when two of the six, three of the six, four of the six. Yeah, but gotcha. right, it looks like so. It's seven, the, eight, the nine, is 10
0: the, of? <laughs> the slash is the of. Got it.
2: Hey,
1: I I, I I bet you they're hoping that it's not a ten game road trip. I oh, think they'd like to come especially home at like it. West. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Your guys thoughts on what you feel or what you think the Raptors are going to finish after this road trip?
1: I'm going to say three and three. Or three. I almost uh, said three three, and six. Three of of six. (laughs) Three and three is probably. I mean, I think that was the target goal going in. Understanding, of course, that you'd you'd love to be above five hundred coming out of this trip, or uh, above this above five hundred finishing the trip. Right. But these these West Coast. Roadies are are so difficult. They've been a nightmare, not only for the Raptors, but for most Eastern Conference teams over the years. Uh, You you drop a couple of tough games Mm -hmm. to start. Games that were winnable in the end, but that they weren't expected to win going in, obviously, against elite competition. This isn't going to be easy. The, The remaining games are all tough. Portland, uh, they've they've played some really entertaining games in Portland over the last few years, but that's a good team there. Two are in altitude. Yep. Denver, Utah, both good, young teams. So it's not going to be easy, but all three of those games are winnable. I think they take two of the three, if I had to guess. I say they they take Portland, uh, Mm -hmm. and and then they split in
0: Denver,
2: Utah. Interesting. Mm. Uh, I say yeah, three and three. uh, Three. Wow. We're, we're, We're in your head now. Yeah, you are. Three and three. Um Anytime you go west and play teams like this, you definitely, coming here 500 is kind of a bonus. And I think, you know, you want, you'd always like to steal one, like in San Antonio or Golden State, which would be great. But um, I don't know about the Portland game, but I definitely feel that Utah um, and Denver are definitely games they should be able to take uh, based on how they played. Um, you know, they're used to the travel, um, but they used to, I mean, Denver's a young team. I mean, they got Paul up but they're still trying to figure out Jamal Murray still. He's struggling a bit in the starting role. Mm-hmm. Um, and Utah is well coached but doesn't have the same talent they've had in the past so i think that's feasible
0: i'm going to be the optimist and say four of six
2: okay so who who are they winning, who are they winning? Well, four four who, and are they, are they, six would be they're running the table they're running the table four
1: and two would be running the, the table, table. Okay. they're running the table so
2: everyone's gonna lose
0: look out okay look out yeah, I th- I think they're going to run the table when it comes to the rest of this road trip. I think the fact that they're finishing the road trip both at altitude and not going, you know, you not going Denver, Portland, Utah and going back and forth. I think finishing and having the days between they allow their bodies to get acclimated to the uh altitude and I th- I think they're going to look at the way they f- tried to finish and weren't successful against San Antonio and Golden State and then look at last night's you know, up and down roller coaster versus a lesser opponent in the Lakers and f- realize, like, okay, guys, we got to look ourselves in the mirror. This is, I, it's only, you know, a few games into the season, but we, we're we better than this. We're better on paper than this. We're better than we're playing and we can be more consistent. And I think they're going to try and send a message, not to the league, but to themselves that we can figure this out and we're going to write the storm and they're going to roll, they're, they're going to run the table. Let
2: me ask you one question. So before this trip started, would you be still saying four wins? Yeah. Interesting.
0: I would. I actually thought they were going to steal one against Golden State or San Antonio. Five wins. Woo. No, no I, like one <laughs> oh, of the one of the four it, was going to be a steal against one of those two teams.
1: The Raps went one in seven last year against Golden State, San Antonio, and Cleveland. Now, uh, of course, they've started the season zero and two against. Those teams, the elite teams, and you might, I mean, the, the, the list of elite teams may have changed this year. You might throw OKC and Houston in there as well. Maybe you take San Antonio out. But, I mean, those have been the three behemoths over the last few years. Now, it, let's be clear. You don't expect the Raptors to fare well in those matchups because those are teams... That are better than them. So while I think a lot of fans are frustrated that, well, they, they're they not beating elite teams, the reality is they're not in that tier. They're the tier below. Right. And generally, if you steal those games, that's exactly what it is. You're stealing those right. games.
0: Much like Memphis stole against Golden State.
1: Right. So it, it, it can be done. You'd like to see that at some point. I think the fact that they've been competitive against those teams or were competitive in, in those two games uh, th- this past week against San Antonio and Golden State it is a an encouraging sign to a degree. You wanna you wanna see them start to steal some of them, but at the same time, I think the fact that they were able to get the two games at home before going out on this trip was huge, considering yep. how tough you know this trip is going to be. The fact that they were able to get the win yesterday was really important. Just. Again, you want to aim for 500 on this trip. You knew that those first two games were going to be really tough. Uh, So now I I think you go into Portland feeling better about yourself, feeling good, that there are a lot of things to take away from these last three games that are are positive, optimistic takeaways as well as some learning experiences as well.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And I, it, I think, like, I don't know about you guys, but for me, like, it really goes back to the Golden State game. Because all I can, like, leading up to that game, not a lot of people were giving any credit to the Raptors heading into it. Um, or, or giving them a chance, you know, in, in anything to to win the game or even make it close. A lot of people were expecting that to be, you know, a 20-point win plus I was going into that game optimistic about it and thinking, you know, if you can keep it respectful, if you're going to take the L, keep it respectful, keep it close, keep it within, you know, 10 to 12. And they did a lot better than that. And I think the fact that for 46 minutes, they were able to go toe to toe and compete with a team that a lot of people try to emulate in Making their roster, and they were able to keep pace with them. They were able to play at their pace and not let that bother them through the entire game. And they were able to compete on that kind of level. Says a lot about what they're trying to do in this system and the culture reset, as Masai said, and that it can work and it has promise.
2: I like how this team. I mean, I think there's definitely upside and more room for this team to be better and how they played so far this season. But I like how they've competed in all these games so far. Obviously, the blowouts were great. Competing with the Spurs, competing with the Warriors, the Lakers. They took care of business in the end. I think you know it could be shooting the ball better. And fine, we know we know what the deficiencies are. Right. But this team has competed kind of in a way that they should against all the competition. So that's a positive take. I think they have to continue it through this road trip, and and then you have better better, better, gauge, better gauge on how these guys are doing.
1: I wasn't surprised. I, I mean, they've hung in tough with the Warriors in the past. They played them tough historically, especially in that building. And the Raptors are a team generally with the playoffs uh, as an exception here especially those games in Cleveland over the last few (laughs) years the Raptors generally don't get blown out they also generally haven't blown out teams um when when they've gotten wins in the past maybe a little bit more over the last year or so but they don't get blown out I think that speaks to their compete level um but yeah I I mean I, I think the biggest takeaway from me from a positive standpoint, right. a surprise standpoint in that Golden State game was how good the young guys were in yes. a really tough high-stakes situation at the end of the game. At the end of the game, everyone was talking about Lowry DeRozan, the fact that they didn't execute, the fact that they reverted back to that one-on-one play, but in terms of Jakob Pertle and Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi in the fourth quarter, those guys stepping up not just in general, but in crunch time, I think Speaks a lot to this team's depth and, and their young talent.
2: There's yeah. a reason why we talk so much about this youth. I mean, you look at this Raptors team in the off-season. You know, I would argue they're probably not as strong as they were last year, but they lost guys like P.J. Tucker, Corey Joseph, Pat Patterson, veterans who can come in and contribute and give and spell them off the bench. You've got a bunch of young guys to rely on, and there's still question marks. I mean, we saw glimpses of good stuff, but you know, with Norm moving to a starting role, he kind of comes out of that second unit, and they've all exceeded expectations. They've all been great. Pascal, you know, we ran through the names. We know who they are. We know what they're doing. And I think that's kind of what's helped this team because you kind of it was a question mark. It's like, hey, they look good, but how good are they going to be? How are they going to fare? And they've risen up. And I mean, we talked. The starters kind of aren't there yet, so things are trending in a positive direction for this team.
0: Hundred percent. The guy you guys didn't mention was Delon Wright, and I thought you know, putting him on Steph Curry in that game as well too. He didn't do a bad job because he's utilizing the length that he has with that wingspan. But we'll keep it rolling here when we come back, we'll hear Josh Lundberg's two minute report. This time we get to hear from a newcomer in Alfonso McKinney. And do remember three PM the Dark Guy and Todd Shapiro show right here on TSN ten fifty. Keep it locked. Welcome back to whole report right here on TSN 1050. As we do every week, it's time now for the 2-Minute Report with Josh Lundberg. And as I alluded to last segment, Josh, this week you were able to speak with uh, Alfonso McKinney.
1: A big week for Raptors rookie Ford Alfonso McKinney. And, and one that's sort of been a little bit surreal. Uh, I mean, every NBA player has a story. Every NBA player has their own unique journey. But for McKinney, it's been so unorthodox, his path To get to this point, nothing about his resume jumps out at you as being an MBA prospect. He wasn't highly recruited coming out of high school. He bounced around a couple different schools in his college career. He tore his meniscus in his knee a couple times in in college, and as a result, he wasn't even on the draft radar uh, coming out of school in 2015, so... He goes to Europe, he plays in Luxembourg, a place that he probably couldn't have even picked out on a map before going over there, but that was one of those experiences where a role player in college, he was asked to do a whole lot more as the lone American on that team. They looked to him to be a scorer, to be a playmaker, to be a leader. He put up big numbers, but in the end, I think a lot of people looked at it and said, well, it's Luxembourg, it's a low-profile league. He came back home to Chicago, went back to the drawing board, ended up playing for uh, the American three-on-three FIBA team, uh, another sort of unique experience. And by the end of that, he still sort of was without any kind of certainty in terms of where his career was going. So a, a year ago, almost exactly at this time, he paid $150 to try out for the Chicago Bulls D-League affiliate, the Windy City Bulls. It was their first year last season. He made the team, ended up blossoming there, becoming a D-League All-Star, and that's what got him on the Raptors' radar. They brought him into the fold this summer, and ever since, they've both found a perfect fit in each other. So this all leads up to uh, last Thursday, the Raptors' opening night game against ironically, the organization that gave McKinney his big break, the Chicago Bulls, uh, it was a blowout game, of course, and he checks in with about 74 seconds remaining, mop-up duty, sure, but for him, this was a special moment. So I had a chance to sit down with Alfonso a couple days after that debut, and I asked him, what was it like? What was going through your mind?
3: Man, well, when I first got in the game, I really just wanted to get in and, you know, um, just do what I can do, just go out there and try to execute for the little time that was left, and, you know, if I had to, I don't know, just whatever I had to do, just go out there and do that um, at at a high level, but um, once the game was coming to an end and, you know, they was holding the ball, I kind of just looked around and was like, man, it's crazy, like, I'm I'm really here, like, yeah, like it was a little surreal. I'm like, man, I'm really, really out here on the floor, and you know, um, like I said, it was just a special moment for me. Um, you know, just everything that I, that I, um, been through like basketball wise, and you know, going from college, you um, having knee surgeries, and just a whole bunch of stuff. Um, not even being, you know, a top prospect or whatever. Like coming out of college, like going into professional basketball. Um, just, just everything that I've done and everything I work for um, yeah it made it even more special last night. Through all that all
1: those obstacles both physical and, and, and basketball wise as you mentioned
3: was there ever a moment where, where you doubted whether you'd be able to reach that that end goal? Uh, I mean you, as a basketball player you always have doubts when things not going well um, I think for me it started back in college when I when I did tear my meniscus, um, came back, rehabbed, and got it back well, and tore it again, and um, kind of missed a whole year, like off a of torn meniscus, which is very rare. And um, I kind of had doubts then, but once I got back, and you know, I got done with college, and I got my first first gig in Luxembourg. I mean, I had doubts there too, just because, you know, a lot of people were like, "Oh well, like you playing Luxembourg, like nobody checks for Luxembourg." didn't end up going to Mexico all well, same thing. Like nobody checks for players in Mexico. Like what players in Mexico go to the NBA. And um just, just going from there, <laughs> just my whole basketball journey, like going to play three on three, like yeah. like what NBA players play three on three. And um, you know, I had a lot of doubts, but at the end of the day when I got um, my opportunity to, you know, play with the Windy City, I took that as a took that as a golden opportunity and just just put a lot of work in and um I think it's, it's paid off tremendously for me because, like I said, this is something I've always wanted to do, like, be on the NBA roster. And, you know, I just look back at all the stuff that I've done and, um, I'm proud of myself, but, you know, at the same time, still got, still got a lot of work to put in, still a lot of stuff to do, you know, to, um, to get the, get the, get the coaches and everybody trust, you know, um, for me to get more minutes and, you know, just be able to come in and be a, be a, um, Impact for this program, as you mentioned, your road has been so unorthodox, yeah. that,
1: and you've had to overcome so many things. You've heard no, whereas I mean, there are a lot of players in the NBA that have been the best player on all their teams, and have had not yeah. to say that they haven't worked hard. But do you think that that gives you almost an advantage in the sense that you
3: have that hunger, having had to prove so many people wrong before? Yeah, I mean, because because now even though I've proved people wrong, like it's like um. I'm coming back in, you know, I got to gotta prove people wrong again because even though, you know, I'm the, the last man on the roster, as people said, like I might get into a game and people be like, oh, who is this kid? Like, you know, like people don't know me. So now it's like I have to keep working, you know, to, to show to show people around the league now what type of kid I am, what type of player I am, and, you know, the type of type of impact I can bring to a game.
0: Josh's two minute report there with Alfonso McKinney. It's interesting because he's one of thousands of players that probably go through that same path, but he's one of the few
1: that go to Luxembourg and play three on three and have to play $150 to to, Even,
0: even go to even smaller countries that are not even like talked about. And then he's probably one of a handful that are now on an NBA roster, which is insane to think, especially after two meniscus tears.
1: Yeah, I mean I I can't think of anyone that's that's made the NBA after following that path. It's such a unique journey and and for him to, what I alluded to in that last question there is I almost think at this point it's sort of an advantage for him over some of these other guys that have had an easier yep. road that are a little bit more entitled. He know he's had to turn no's into yes his entire life, and he knows what it's like to overcome obstacles at every turn. So for him to even make the team is an accomplishment, but He's got his work cut out for him. As he knows, he's at the back end of the roster. He'll probably see some G League time again this year. But the Raptors are high on him. They they see him, of course, as a worker, as a high character guy that can fit in. But they also like his versatility at both forward spots. The fact that he's long, athletic, and his shot is improving. So if he can become a 3-and-D player, we know how young, how youthful, and talented this Toronto Raptors roster already already is, but he could be another guy that we'll be talking about in a year or two as as being part of this team and this franchise's future.
2: You know, having to pay to kind of prove yourself the $100, be that tryout and make the team and make it to this NBA level, he appreciates everything that's coming at him. And yep. also being at the end of the bench, as I say that, he's seeing guys like Pascal Siakam who weren't getting playing time and getting called up and having to be ready. So, right. you know, he understands all that. And also, you know, credit to you, Josh, because I think like these stories are great to hear because, you know, we know about the elite players, we know about the stars, but, you know, Everyone can root for a guy like Alfonso for based on what he's overcome and what he's done, and you know, and finding out his challenges and stories to get there. So it's, it's good to note to, to hear his journey to the NBA.
1: It was a fun one to write, and you can check it out uh, on TSN.ca. It's also pinned to my uh, Twitter timeline uh, at. J. Lou, 1050. And in case you're wondering, the $150 that he spent to try out for the D League team last year, he says that is the best $150 he ever spent. A good investment.
2: Yeah. Good return, I think.
0: Eh? <laughs> Definitely. We continue on here. Coming up next, we will be joined on the phone by assistant coach Jama Malalea of the Raptors. We'll talk everything Raptors and the Trailblazers ahead. Keep it locked right here on TSN 1050. Welcome back inside the TSN 1050 Raptors headquarters. Megan McKeek, Dwayne Watson, Josh Lewenberg with you here on home court. Joining us now on the phone is assistant coach, Toronto Raptors, Jama Malalela. Jamma, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you taking some time after a late night last night.
4: Not a problem. Happy to do it.
0: Jamma, we'll jump right into it, obviously, with you guys being on the road. You're on the road 14 days, six-game road trip. You're now 1-2 and two. when you look at this road trip. You've competed in two of the three games, an up-and-down game last night against the Lakers. But what have you liked from a coaching standpoint when you look at this, this Raptors squad and the culture reset that you guys are going through right now?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when that, when that schedule came out in August and we looked at this first road trip and we saw it as a real tough one, uh, you know, with, with two games at home and then having these tough ones to start with San Antonio and Golden State. And I think what you said is right. We, we were in those games and we, we definitely had a chance to win and we probably could have and maybe should have won those two games. And that's really good for us as a coaching staff uh, to just have a comfort with the way that our guys are playing and starting to figure out rotations and nuances of our team. Um, and then last night, I think we had a slower start, uh, but we're able to pick it up. So it's about finding ways to win. And I think in that second half, we played with more intensity, more focus, more fire, uh, and, and our guys sort of kind of came through and pulled through uh, to, to to win that game, which was good for us on this trip.
1: Yeah, Kyle Lowry's still looking for his shot a little bit, but as we've seen now over the years, and especially last night, 10th career triple-double, he can impact the game in so many different ways he's got the bandage under his eye and probably a bruise on that chin to prove it when he's playing like he did last night leaving it all on the floor like that uh, how much of a spark does that give the rest of the guys just to just to see that effort
4: no, you're so right. I mean, he makes winning basketball plays. You know, we, we show film after every game, and, and each of those game films, we show him taking charges. He does it every game, no matter who the opponent is. He truly puts his body on the line for the team, and I think that really inspires everyone else and gets everyone else playing with physicality. If you look at the game last night, you know, in the first quarter or second quarter, we weren't playing with any physical force. We weren't, you know, dictating our will in any way, and I think his ability to sort of get in there and scrap it up helped ignite the rest of the team, and, and we had a better effort.
2: Jamma, I know you spend all the time working with the younger players. And over the last couple of years, what have you seen has been the biggest growth or biggest development? I mean, you can choose which guy you've seen it the most, whether it's Norm or DeLon or Jakob. But what's been the biggest growth you've seen in in one of these young guys? Obviously, as the second unit, these young guys have helped to definitely flourish with this team this season.
4: I mean, right now you're looking at DeLon. I think in in this, this small sample size at the beginning of the season, DeLon is, is making an impact in ways that he didn't do last year and obviously ways that we're hoping he can do moving forward. I think we're looking at him as someone who can play at the end of games. His length defensively allows us to do, you know, some things in terms of matchups and put him on, on, on certain players at different sizes. But also offensively gets Kyle off the ball, almost in that Corey Joseph role of having sort of two point cards out there, uh, to finish games. And so his ability and his leadership and maturity to be comfortable in that scenario uh, and able to sort of take that on has been good, you know, I think last night he didn't finish the game for us, and there'll be ups and downs for him he'll he's going to figure it out as we go, but his growth as a as a young point guard and a team leader has been a, has been tremendous,
1: sticking with the kids uh, I mean Norman Powell is still a guy that I think a lot of people forget is in that category because he had so much early season success, but he's still growing he's still learning, and now he's learning uh to fit in with a new. A unit as well, being part of that starting group. He's gotten off to a quiet start. Uh, looks like he, he's pressing a little bit, maybe in his own head a little bit. What can you say to a guy like that to help him sort of get his game and get his confidence back?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think I mean, Norm is such a proven playoff competitor. You see what he's done for us in his playoff series the last few years, his ability to really impact basketball games. And the challenge to him is how did he do that through the regular season on a, on a day-in and day-out basis and it is an adjustment right now. I think, I think playing with Colin DeMar regularly in that starting group, he, he's figuring out his little nuance, his role. You know, we talk a lot to him about doing just simple things well. Um, I think for him it's about playing with force and, and pace on both sides of the ball both on offense and defense, and using his speed. You know, defensively playing a solid defensive game is an important uh, component for him. And last night, even though he missed some shots, missed some layups, he was still a plus 17 in his minutes. So he, he's still giving us a lot. And I think as he continues to work out the rotations and, and find a home, he's going to be just a, a real a special player for us and someone who really makes a difference each and every game.
0: Jamma, JV goes down and you guys insert Bebe, and then unfortunately he goes down and now you've inserted Pascal Siakam, but you've also gotten a lot of production from Jakob Pertle. What is it about that, those two, that they are able to just give you guys something night in and night out, whether one's in the starting lineup or the other one is, and the other one's coming off the bench? But either way, both are giving you guys such production, and Kyle has such high words for Pascal Siakam in the way he can run the floor.
4: No, I mean, we're, we're, our team is our, our second unit is really good. We have five veterans on our team, and then we got just a bunch of players. And each game, we have to figure out who's going to be playing who's going to do what. And then, situation where both of your, you know, bigs go down in JV and Lucas, we're able to have people to step up. And pass on someone who has starting experience. I mean, we got to remember he started. A ton of games for us early, you know, in in the past. And I think now with the shot developing, it's really forcing teams to guard him. And then his penetration to the rim becomes more effective. Uh, You saw last night down the stretch in the fourth quarter, him simply rim running. He had two times just running to the rim. Kyle found the easy layups once he got fouled. That speed injected into our, especially into that second unit, or sorry, that first unit uh, with their age is really good for us.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Pascal Siakam's turned a lot of heads over the last couple of games, and to your point, Gemma, having that kind of depth is, for a coaching staff, I imagine, a good problem to have, but it's probably going to be tough when JV does come back to potentially have to send someone like Pascal Siakam back to the bench. How do you find more minutes for him when you are at full strength?
4: You know, I think we need to be really creative this season. I think finding ways to get and keep people engaged. And it does mean that some games someone may not play. You know, an OG who's been playing really quality minutes for us. I mean, just super quality minutes in terms of, of what he's done defensively and offensively figuring it out. You know, there may be a night where he's getting less and Pascal gets more. There may be a night where Jakob's getting less and Lucas gets more. It's just about finding those balances through the season and being creative with when it works and finding the matchup. Where each player can sort of thrive the most. So, again, one night it might be Lucas's night, and the next it might be, you know, Pascal or OG's night. Uh,
2: Jamie, you mentioned OG, a man who's inspired uh, Raptors fans. What Two questions. What's impressed you the most about him, and what can you tell us about him we may not know considering he barely talks at all? Yeah, good point. Um, I mean, I think the thing that impresses me most. And it's a strange one, but if you look at all the
4: games he's played thus far, he's throwing up one or two, three that really have not looked good, you know, and just haven't, haven't sort of, you know, haven't maybe even connected with, with the rim. Yeah. But the impressive part is he shoots the next one and most of the time makes the next one. So there's a confidence to his game. Most young players don't have that. If they miss one badly, you know, they may not take the next one. But there's a confidence in his shooting and his ability as a player. Uh, and then the next piece of that is his passing. I mean, his big, big passing is something we didn't even see at all. Uh, I mean, we've been really impressed with that. Once you get five-on-five gameplay, he really sort of impresses that way. Um, and then I think in terms of just who he is as a person, I think he is absolutely that sort of quiet person. But he's someone who has, who, who has an inner tenacity. He really, he really wants to work. And we see it in, in practices and drills that he really wants to get things perfect. He'll, he'll ask the coaches quietly, hey, can I do that again? Can I do that again? Can I do that again? And that sort of internal drive, I think, is going to carry him.
1: 123 assists, Jemma, through five games. You guys had 80 after five games last year. So there are certainly signs, uh, that, that things that you guys have, have shown here early in the season where the new, the changes that you guys have made to your offense is is coming through. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about the last two minutes in that game in Oakland against the Warriors and, and uh, sort of the, the way that... Uh, Demar and and Kyle had had their their looks on minimal passes. I guess I would say in in, in that moment, uh, what was the message to the team after that game? Were you happy with those looks? And I, I guess how do you find the balance between the the old offense, the things that worked for your star players, as well as this new offense and some of the things that you guys are trying to implement, especially late in games.
4: For sure. I mean, it's a really good question. And, and I think, you know, if you look at that Golden State game, um, I mean, I think that game or, or one of the one before we had, 30 assists, you know, in that game like where the ball was moving. So we have a new metric this year where we just, we track the total number of passes. You know, if they're just a simple swing, swing, pass, whatever it is, it's the total number for the game. And we set a goal of, of 300. And 300, we only reached twice all of last season in terms of getting 300 total passes in the game you know we've already sort of you know started eclipsing that i think last night we were at 290 the golden state game we're at right. you know 290 folks. so we're right up there we're doing a really good job with just passing the ball more and the fourth quarter in the last three or four minutes, the game does change a little bit. You know, and I think that is a time when you want to limit turnovers. So having, you know, six, seven, eight passes per possession is not what you want to do near end of games. You, you want to limit the chance, the number, the, the, the potential for a turnover. So those situations where we get DeMar the ball or get Kyle the ball uh, and they vault up and take the shots that we want them to shoot is, is what the game is about. You know, and I think if they make those two shots, we win that game and, and we're coming in here with, with another win. Um, and last night in the, against the Lakers, they made those shots and we did win. So down the stretch, it's about finding ways to keep the ball moving, absolutely. Um, But you also want the ball in your best player's hands.
0: Jamma, before we let you go, I have a little bit of a fun question for you. We, you know, with Open Gym, we get to see a lighthearted side of a lot of the guys with their family and their kids. But we don't always get to see what it's like from a coach's standpoint. Uh, managing fatherhood and the balance of the NBA. You're a recent father. Your daughter is the cutest thing in the world and probably your number one fan. What is it like for you, just battling and balancing both?
4: Such a good question. Thanks for asking. I mean, I think you know my family is just absolutely the most important thing to me. And you know, for example, we're on a 14 day road trip, and you know, I'm not getting to see them other on other than on Facetime, and that that doesn't quite cut it fully. Um, you know, I think I think our organization really does put family first. And we have so many of our coaches, so many of our players have new uh, new families, young children. And the ability for all of them to interact together and sort of get to know each other as a, as a larger family group is great. Uh, you know, my daughter is two years old now. My son just turned two months, so I've got two at home now. And uh, it's wild when I'm at home and I mean it's absolutely crazy, but it's the best thing in the world. And I think once you're when, when the grind of an NBA season, you know, going home and seeing your kids and, and just them smiling is truly the best thing in the world for you.
0: Gemma, thank you so much for taking some time. We appreciate it. Good luck in the rest of this road trip.
4: Really appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, Gemma.
0: Once again, Raptors assistant coach Jemma Malalela joining us as they are on the road. They head to Portland. They will take on the Trailblazers on Monday. We continue here on home court. Do remember the Toronto Maple Leafs pregame show tips off at 5 o'clock right here on TSN 1050. And the Leafs will be on TSN 1050 versus the Flyers. Puck drops at 7 p.m.